Hi, I'm Jason Nias, along with Natalie Wires from Digital River, an e-commerce and payments company dedicated to helping brands go global and grow their revenue. But this isn't about us. This is Commerce Connect, a podcast about people who are creating some of the best e-commerce experiences of our time. Listen on to hear from e-commerce visionaries as they look back on where they started and lessons they've learned that have gotten them where they are today and what they believe is the future of online shopping. Hi, this is Jason Nias from Digital River, and today I'm really excited because we're taking a little bit of a different approach to today's podcast. Um, A lot of companies are using the term digital transformation, and it's often an overused expression in our industry. Uh, So today we wanted to dig into an example of of a company going through digital transformation and uh, share some of the learnings that came through the process. Uh, Joining me today, I have two guests, actually. So Brian Durth, who's the head of strategy and growth at Vimo, who's a Digital River partner, and it's a company who's uh, really well-respected in digital commerce, specific around Magento and taking brands global. Uh, And the other uh, guest is Jason Lair, who's a senior vice president of strategy at Tracer, a digital intelligence platform. Uh, His former role was at a company called Brown Foreman, uh, who is a a uh, company that owns brands like Jack Daniels, Woodford Reserve, Finlandia, really tier one alcohol brands. Uh, it's one of the largest spirit companies in the world, and at one time a Vimo customer. So, Brian, Jason, welcome to the Commerce Connect podcast. Thanks, Jason. Thank you, Jason. All right. Well, when you have alcohol on the uh, on the option, we're going to definitely start there. So, Jason, uh, I would love it if you'd introduce yourself and talk a little bit briefly about how you help launch digital transformation uh, at a number of companies, you know, Camping World, Humana, and most recently at Brown Form. Yeah, so I, uh, I started off my career, I was actually a sophomore in college at Western Kentucky University and was getting into this whole internet thing and happened to be an intern out of Camping World and uh, got pretty deep into the operation there. And we launched the Camping World Online Catalog back in like 1994 when I was a sophomore. And that immediately thrust me into this whole notion of what this future is going to be when it comes to digital and all the opportunities there. Uh, Camping World was awesome. We went from around, we we went from being nascent to being around 25 to 30% of the overall catalog business when I left a few years later. Um, Went to Humana, another company that was trying to understand what was happening with digital. I was fortunate there to work in all the different areas uh, when it comes to our digital touch points with uh, physicians to uh, consumers and everybody in between. Uh, Launched the, uh, uh, we actually launched some very powerful uh, pharmacy tools there. So being able to go and complete your prescriptions online, understand what tools you could use. I actually launched a few patents from that work with our RX calculator. Uh, We enrolled 300,000 plus Medicare consumers online, which was a pretty awesome thing. Uh, and that, that all of that work parlayed into some consulting and work that led to Brown Foreman, where I led a group called Global Marketing Services, where uh, I was involved in everything from our uh, e-commerce launches that we referenced here to the NBA Jack Daniels deal to uh, building out a curriculum for how we do digital across the organization that we took to some four or 500 employees across the, across the teams. Also spent um, most recently some time with a company called Inspire Brands, where I launched, um, where I built the media operation there uh, as that company came together, uh, which was the holding company for Arby's, Buffalo Wild Wings, Sonic, Rusty Taco, Jimmy John's, and then recently Duncan. 
Uh, and that was a lot of interesting experience. We talked about digital, but also the role of media and how it influences it. And uh, I was actually a, a customer of mine was, I was a customer of Tracer, which led me to, uh, whenever I had the opportunity to join Tracer directly, uh, that happened uh, about a year and a half ago. Uh, let's uh, let's move on to Brian. Uh, Brian, you've got a long history in digital, converting vertical, uh, converting verticals ranging from healthcare to automotive. We would love to hear a little bit about your background and maybe some of the highlights, as well as what you're doing now for Vimo. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, my background in sort of e-commerce, retail, or, or digital uh, goes back quite a few years. I uh, was actually way back when, when this internet thing was coming along, I was a CEO of a company called the Hollywood Stock Exchange, which was a um, virtual markets and, and the idea of trading actors and actresses with virtual currency to, uh, to win prizes and money and fun stuff like that. Uh, but my e-commerce uh, kind of experience really kicked in, in in 05 when I was at Scholastic and we launched the first e-commerce platform for the, the iconic children's publishing uh, brand. Um, that uh, gave me, uh, you know, total insight into all of the ins and outs of uh, platforms, integrators, agencies, and all of the things that stack up to kind of align to, to get the, the objectives um, uh, together and, and more importantly, to get the, the outcomes um, the, that the business was trying to, to, to get. Um, so over the past 15 years, I've, I've spent probably five of those years as a CMO uh, with responsibility for all e-commerce, marketing, omni-channel customer experience, et cetera. And then 10 of those years at two different consulting companies. Um, most recently, uh, 13 to 18, I was at Centric Digital, which was a very early leader in enterprise digital transformation strategy consulting. Uh, in 2014, we were Inc. 500 fastest growing company in Manhattan. Um, and uh, again, punched well above our weight with respect to digital strategy consulting uh, back then. Um, and part of my role and part of my kind of uh, DNA and thread in, in digital and e-commerce is, is that I've had the privilege of hovering over some of the most interesting and important clients that, that those agencies had and kind of wayfinding uh, the business objectives as they ladder into uh, development capabilities and deliver ca delivery capabilities. And, 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 and in some ways, that's my role at, at Vimo. My role at Vimo is to do exactly that and, and, and sort of lead the strategy practice where where we connect the, the the business objectives with the with the development capabilities of, of one of the leading systems integrators in the world on the on the uh, Magento platform or Adobe Commerce platform, as well as six other best of breed global e-commerce platforms. But um, but that that's my role I, again. And a little bit about me. Uh, I think some of the more interesting things that I've been a part of. Uh, again, Scholastic was very interesting. It's the first time that the, that that brand stood up e-commerce, and uh, that their business model is very, very nuanced. Uh, and I love the nuanced business models. Um, I think some of the work at at Centric, again, one of the clients of Centric that we we can talk about is Brown Foreman. Um, you know, you had a a, a very early leader um, in, in that digital transformation effort in Brown Foreman trying to, to get ahead and look at the transformational aspects of digital on the alcohol category. Um, and now at Vimo, we have a, just a flagship of uh, clients across the globe, um, like Heineken and Helly Hansen and, and other global brands that kind of like to, to, to think globally, but operate locally. And, and I think that's the kind of the sweet spot of Vimo. That's perfect. I was going to ask you to go a little deeper on Vimo for me. So, um, 
what I here's here's what I know about vinyl. Uh, uh, I usually judge agencies and SIs by the company that they keep, and uh, you know the quality of an agency is reflected in the in the logos of the brands they represent. And, and companies like Helly Hansen, Bauhaus, Jaguar, Heineken are all tremendous. Can you tell us a little bit more about how Vimo stands out in a, in a crowded field and what you guys hang your hat on and, and why you're able to attract the logos you are. And then we'll, we'll use that as the segue to talk more about Brown Farmer. Yeah. I, I, and I, and I, I kind of like that description or that, uh, that, that profile, it is a crowded field. Um, and, and, and one of the things that, that you'll hear me talk about is that the tech is no longer the answer, by the way, it never was the answer. Um, but the, uh, the Vimo is uh, it's 13 year old, 13 year old company. Again, one of the largest integrators um, and, and commerce solutions partners on, on the Adobe platform uh, and, and now six other commerce platforms. We we've delivered over 400 commerce, digital commerce implementations over those 13 years. Um, we are a global uh, company. We have 15 offices. Um, we operate in probably 20 some countries. Um, we operate the largest magenta installation in Latin America, for example. We, 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 we have clients that are iconic brands, again, as, as you mentioned, the Helly Hansons, the Heinekens, et cetera. Um, and, and I think more importantly, we, we have partnerships with clients. And I know that's cliche, but I think the stat is that 70% of our clients since 2017 are still clients of ours, meaning we, we, we just don't build things, but we partner with companies and we partner with them to, to try to get get success. Uh, because as I said, the, the, you know, the, the technology and the build and handing over the keys, that's not the trick. Uh, the, the trick is all the other nuances that come after that happens. And, and really that alignment, which again, lessons learned when, when I was back, you know, er, er, early on in my first, my first taste of commerce or digital commerce, e-commerce at Scholastic, the alignment of all the parties that have to come together to make it work. The, the, now the, the tech stack, I was a CMO for a company uh, that's $700 million specialty retailer recently. And, and the MarTech stack that we had was, was unbelievable. The, 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 the amount of point solutions that were coming together to try to make basically our business objectives light up, that's tough. Um, and, that, and that's where Vimo kind of comes in and, and, and helps lead and guide our clients to, to make sure that the, it's the outcome that makes the difference, not just the, not just the tech. Nobody ever looks back and says, hey, the tech is, the tech is really it. It's, it's not that. So that, that's how, how I think we stand out. And, um, and that's, that's uh, uh, I think some of our differentiation is, is that. It's the, that whole think global, act local. We, we actually do that. <laughs> yep. Well, I tell you, uh, just to go a little deeper on that, I, I really, I really liked your answer. And uh, when I look at your website, and I, you know, we connect with our teams. What my team feels is specialization. You guys know what you're focused on. You know you're focused on hyperlocal. You know you're going to be the one of the world's best at Adobe Commerce Cloud. You know you're focused on commerce. And to me, those are things that really separate you guys in a crowded space. You, you know who you are. You know who you can help. And uh, because that's the case, you guys can get really, really specific. You agree with that assessment, or am I? No, no, no. I think I think that's right. I think that we have uh, sort of an, an incredible depth of development delivery. I mean, one of the things that you'll hear, uh, you know, some of the the account people talk about is that that we can build just about anything. And and also, it's that uh, 
that a farmer's commercial, you know, because people often try to say, well, what's your industry or your verticalization, you know, specialization? And you're like, well, we've been around for 13 years and I just told you we did 400 e-commerce implementations. We've done implementations in just about every vertical. So it's almost like, well, what do you got? You know, show, show me something that's a little different. And those are actually the ones that that I think are are most intriguing. And for me, leading the strategy practice, those are the ones that get me juiced, are the ones that are those nuanced business models where e-com is part of it, but it's not the answer again. It's not, you know, it's, you know, as, as we'll discuss, you know, alcohol, that's a tough category and is so nuanced up and down the value chain that it's not just about hanging out a shingle, which you can do. In, in a matter of, you know, days or weeks or however long you want to take to do that. It's about understanding all of those ramifications of, of actually, you know, the business and selling a product in a digital environment. So, yeah, that's I think that's what makes Vimo very different is, is, is just our approach to digital commerce. Fantastic. Well, you know, every, every business that I talk to has some unique requirements around their go-to-market aspects of the business, how they operate it. Things like regulations or tax requirements, or uh, you know, you're going to hear today from Jason talking about you know how do you deal with age verification. So this is why I was so excited about today's podcast is because we get to hear about probably one of the most regulated and complex use cases, and it's around digital transformation of a hundred-plus-year-old brand trying to uh, digitize their business. And so let's get into that. So how does, so, so Jason and Brian, how do you guys connect and uh, talk to me a little bit about the work you guys achieve together? That's kind of a toss up. Either of you can take it. Yeah. You know, the, um, the, the whole impetus behind the push on e-commerce when I was at BF was personally for me, it was trying to kind of control our own destiny. I could certainly read the tea leaves. I could see where this industry was going. More importantly, where it wasn't going because it was so laggard that there's opportunity to do something different. And so we kind of tiptoed as a company into B2B through some, I say tiptoe into e-commerce through B2B in a couple of markets that we had some very highly specialized products on. And you got to remember, too, outside of the U.S., there is no three-tier system except for maybe a couple of countries. So the U.S. is very unique in having the ability to do a, 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 a manufacturer to a, a third-party distributor to a to the retailer. So that those three tiers, really, the U.S. is pretty unique when it comes to that. So in markets like the U.K., Australia, and others, we would actually be our own distributor and and work directly with wholesalers or retailers. So in those markets, we can control that supply chain and actually be in a position to sell things directly. And so B2B-wise, we learned a lot because we could actually introduce products in those markets and get an understanding for, is there scale here? Is there opportunity here? Without having to put somebody on the ground. So handling it from a digital standpoint for advertising all the way through. So the taste of that said, yeah, this is something that we should look at. So we did our first direct-to-consumer implementation it was okay, but we realized there needed to be something larger here. So I worked with, um, with, with my team on building out requirements, working with the country managers, working with the different folks across our supply chains and, and touch points uh, that were important when it came to customers and, and consumers as well, and the brands. And we built the series of requirements. And then that led us to talking to different partners to help out, which is where uh, Brian and, and his team at the time came into play when it came to helping us to 
not only aligned to just making sure that our strategies were, were robust, but also understand who could actually help us make this happen. So how did you make it happen, Brian? <laughs> well, again, it's, it's that, I think that's that classic idea as Jason was saying, we, we, we helped craft the strategy, which was, was uh, again, to, to Brown Foreman's credit, uh, it was a, I think it was, it was uh, forward thinking in, in, in looking at global e-commerce. And then just as we said before, understanding that, that it has to be operationalized locally. And, but, you, but as, a, as a brand and as an enterprise, you, you want to put certain controls in place and, and, and make sure that you're, you're enabling that to happen. And, it, and that's what we ended up doing. We ended up working with them on an on e-commerce strategy. And then, as, as, as Jason said, when you go to the build, you have the luxury then of, of sort of putting out these, again, I'm going to use that term again, putting out a shingle. It's an old 1800s uh, reference to the wooden shingle, right? Put, open a business. So you open a business online. And as he said, you, you, you can learn a lot. You can learn a lot with actually and maybe less investment capital um, than you can by putting a lot of boots on the ground. And, and uh, that's that was the idea. The idea was to begin to roll these things out, understand the nuances of, of a very complex category, because again, you, to, you pointed out, you know, Jason, it's iconic brands that have been around for quite some time uh, and, and, and some brands that are just emerging onto the scene and, and sort of balancing all this with the brand story and yet wanting to sell something and, and wanting to learn. And uh, I think that that began to happen there. Um, and, and, you know, again, e-commerce sites, sites that take transactions, sites, sites that contextualize that experience. Um, you know, Vimo very good at doing that. We, we help do that for Brown Foreman on a couple of uh, those e-commerce sites. But the, I think the takeaways are the, the learnings, um, the, the kind of the approach to it, uh, and, and then that, that idea of iteration and what can we do next. And, uh, in, 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 you know, Jason's comment about laggard industries. I think that is such a great approach for a laggard industry. It's actually one of our recommendations now for companies and clients, regardless of who you are, where you are. If, you, if you're not going, if you don't have digital commerce, there, there's a way to sort of ease into a lot of this nowadays. You know, it used to be very, very, very large undertakings. Today, you can ease into this and, and get learnings very quickly and start to start to use those learnings to your advantage. Yeah, I'd like yeah. to, uh, oh, go ahead, yeah. I was just going to say, one of the components of this, too, was, you know, and there was an incredible amount of learning across every aspect of this, because the thing is, you know, you look at it, and you're like, all right, sweet, we sign up and get an e-commerce platform, and here we go. But one of the things that I really appreciated about the experience with Vimo at the time was understanding the considerations across the board. And they play very well in the sandbox when you talk about working with our agency partners, because when it comes to, you know, the Jack Daniels brand, it's, it's take, it's held in very high regard internally. And we are, we were stewards of that brand. So we didn't need to make sure that everything that happened had a, had a reflection of Jack in that process from the point before, during, and after the experience. So when it came down to fulfillment, so when you, got that package that it wasn't just like somebody threw something in a box, but it actually represented the brand in the right way. And those nuances, when you talk about fulfillment partners in three countries that were three different people, um, that's, that's a totally different perspective. And so that, that attention to detail was a new, it was a new focus for us because we were learning as we were going, but it's also just having that ability to be very intentional at every step along the way to know that, 
this should reflect the brand at every step as we have an interaction point. That's super helpful. So now what I'd love to do next is, um, you guys have done a great job painting the sky of yeah. all the things that you guys have to think about. I would love for you to kind of get into some of those details around the requirements. You know, I have to imagine that there are so many things related to compliance that had to be considered. And then I'd love for you to share some of the learnings that you went through on this journey together. Sure. You know, the, the requirements piece is, is extremely difficult because there's not a global set of requirements on spirits. Uh, when you talk about how each country uh, recognizes spirits, uh, the legal drinking age uh, as the most basic view. So if it's 18 in one country and 21 in another, you know, being able to have that is and, and recognize that is incredibly important. Um, what happens at the time of fulfillment? So I, I order online via the, uh, the mobile web experience and then it's shipped to the house. Well, you know, do you collect an ID from the individual? Does it have to be anybody in the house who's above legal drinking age that can collect it? Um, you know, the, the requirements on just making sure that every step along the way is with someone who is of legal drinking age and is, you know, and, and that's from advertising through to the, the actual e-commerce experience. Because even in advertising, I mean, we spend, you know, millions of dollars on advertising to drive folks in. Every impression that I'm looking at across the platforms or whether it's Facebook or, you know, the, the you know, advertising on a, on a publisher like an ESPN, I have to make sure through other checks and balances that those impressions are consumers who are above legal drinking age. So everything has to be on the up and up in terms of making sure that it is legit as much as we possibly can. And then from a fulfillment standpoint, again, ensuring that that product is being put in the hands of someone who is of legal drinking age and has that right connection. So Requirements wise, the most important pieces are the LDA piece or the legal drinking age requirements. And then from there, you talk about um, just, just some of the nuances that are maybe not necessarily a formal requirement, but just understanding in the market, what does it look like? So in Australia, you had some wholesalers then we had, there were some competitors to us that went very much, very far forward on uh, direct to consumer. And it really upset several of the of those wholesalers. And so when you started to see products from competitors get delisted because they were putting so much of an emphasis on e-commerce, it scared a lot of folks internally on the senior side. So our senior executives were like, are we sure we need to do this? And so that's where it comes down to requirements on how do we engage everyone in the supply chain to understand what we're doing and why we're doing it, and then work with them on how it actually takes place. And, so, you know, you've got kind of the things you can control, then there's the market factors, and then, um, and then there's the, uh, the actually how this thing comes to life, which is where, you know, vinyl played a big role across all these steps. Yeah, and I think it's kind of piggybacking off of that. If you look at it just from sort of a normal site construction and, and, and more importantly, kind of global brand construction, you've got to get the, that global brand idea nailed so you, you've got a for example with jack that idea of, of tell the story but gently sell uh, but then you have all of those 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 various components that have to kind of light up again and come together to make that happen like uh, again um the the business rules that are underneath right the the authentication of the user to do all the identity mapping to make sure that it's in fact you know as jason said there's there's a requirement of 
legal drinking age. Then there's the nuance of shipping, you know, so that's placing the order. So that's the, that's almost the easy part is, as I mentioned before, the commerce part of, oh, that looks like a great product. Okay. I I might want to customize it a little bit, make modifications to it, what have you, but now I want to, I want to go. Well, okay. You know, even in the U S there are these very, very you know, subtle rules that are that are state by state. You know, Jason's talking country by country, market by market. In the, in the U.S., the, the the category is still very much uh, uh, um, delineated by various laws. I mean, Utah, you can you can buy wine through a subscription service, but it has to be shipped to a package store. So, so those are more business rules, more fulfillment rules. You know, and globally that happens. And and so those those requirements that then get captured and 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 developed into an e-commerce stack that that is is um, kind of uh, uh, localized by country that still fulfills on the experience and that's the key right again the, the key it, it always has to roll back up i have a big saying uh or one of brian's sayings is don't, don't put your business you know your business uh, uh requirements onto the consumer you know yeah and i think a lot of us have seen that happen and you can feel that happen if you've ever had a, an experience with a site or a store and you're like well, why do you guys do it that way and then you're like oh i i know why you do it that way it's some sort of internal thing that yeah you got to go to talk to that person for that don't do that to c- consumers and in this category it would have been very easy to do that because it's just it's just all over from back end all the way up into front end of what people are seeing and experiencing and that's what made the made this 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 whole experience unique is trying to stay true to the brand and contextualize the brand and have that wonderful experience come to life but realizing in the end i still would like to put something in you know in in a box and ship it to you and have that experience um, uh, maintained throughout the, that 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 cycle, but also make sure that I'm doing it in in in, in the right way for the the laws of the of the particular uh, land, if you will. And you know, and one element of that too is just some of the requirements that we were working through on: do we do individual brand stores, or do we do one overall store that represents everybody um, that we brand differently? So. And again, that's also on a country by country basis because it's uh, in some countries it may work and others it's not because it wasn't about putting the brown foreign brand forward. We wanted to make sure that the brands themselves were, were the lead because it's as much for me, I, all I cared about was the first party data. That was the most important thing for me was to get that in. But it's also an incredible brand building touch point that I want to make sure it was leveraged to the greatest possibility. So whether it's being able to then follow up with recipe recommendations based on the products that you purchased, but throughout, through it all, connecting back to the brand while that value exchange is happening to where I'm getting that first party data back from the transactions themselves, which to me, which is so valuable thinking about not only new potential product innovation, influences on media, and even thought leadership that we could take back to supply chain partners based on information that we saw and being able to help put us a little bit forward ahead, uh, a little bit further ahead with, um, with those partners in the mix. So where did you land? Did you land on a, a branded house strategy or a house of brand you know, strategy? For like for the UK, the, I mean, the main focus was Jack Daniels directly. So we wanted to, because of just the size of the brand and the ability to connect it in from our media and all the other touch points, um, we, we led with that. We did have a, a uh, there was a, a little bit of a larger uh, connected experience in Australia. Uh, but for the most part, for those markets where Jack Daniels was the lead, we would start with the Jack Daniels store. So overall, it was able to connect and be very consistent. And then, um, but but it also was nice because for the other brands in the mix, 
uh, we could actually create some selling experiences that were more direct, especially in markets where we were trying to introduce tequila that tequila wasn't a, a big seller. We could do so in a digital format and then, uh, and then understand and learn from that before somebody was actually physically in market to sell it and then be able to help prepare and, and guide toward what we needed to do from a, a, a larger distribution model. Makes sense. The uh, couple of things come to mind as we talk about this. Um, number one, if, if, uh, if, if Vimo can help execute a strategy to help sell alcohol globally, um, that is a pretty good testament for your ability to handle the, the complexities of regulation, business processes, local regulations, et cetera. So that's a really good testament. I have to believe that that experience that you guys have probably is benefiting you pretty, pretty strongly right now post-COVID. I mean, it's no secret that alcohol sales during COVID were enormous. Can you speak about kind of a where we're at in the world. I mean, it's, it's late July here. This podcast will publish in early August. Uh, who knows what the future holds, but what has happened to the businesses you work with kind of in this near the end, I guess, of COVID world? Hope, knock on wood. Yeah, well, I think in general, uh, you know, spe- I'll talk specifically about this category and then um, more broadly, but in, in the alcohol category, there's, there is a kind of an awakening as, as, as we were talking about earlier. Um, you, you have a lot of these brands that were forced. I, I, I often say that, you know, the, the COVID uh, was, a, was a great example of forced trials. You know, everybody talks about, well, let's, let's test this. Well, COVID, COVID was your, your, your forced trial for a lot of things, forced trial for telehealth, forced trial for a lot of companies in the, in the alcohol space to go D to C. Um, and with that came a lot of interesting byproducts, right? It came access to first-party data that Jason just mentioned, which a lot of companies heretofore did not have, uh, which is huge for establishing other kinds of marketing programs like loyalty and 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 other other kinds of uh, you know kind of uh, more macro brand needs uh, and 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 probably a shift towards towards becoming more present in the in the minds of the consumer with that connection. Um, so, you know, alcohol, there was a, there was an awakening and there was this idea that, yeah, this, this, uh, all these laws are nuanced, but they're not insurmountable to your point earlier. They're, they're, they're just details, right? Uh, they're not, they're not complex. I, I, I reserve the term complexity for leaving the earth's gravitational pull, like the, you know, like the, <laughs> like the moonshots and, and all that that's complicated. Um, laws and selling stuff is not complicated. It's just detailed. And, and once you get into it and you can start to, to understand it, you can do it. And, and, and there's a lot, a, a lot of benefit to, to doing it. I think in general, our clients are, uh, had a very robust, hard charging uh, mentality that they had to do something that, that, that when COVID hit, uh, I think a lot of internal uh, bureaucracy, a lot of internal processes, a lot of uh, businesses that might have been fill in the blank, tech led, this led, that led, all of a sudden got very focused on being customer led and customer centric. And what can we do to go to a uh, direct to a consumer or at least try to establish a, a dialogue and, and hopefully sales channel with a consumer? And I think there was a lot of learning that happened. Um, uh, I mean, we, we, we had 
you know, very positive results as a business during COVID because there was so much activity in e-commerce. I mean, it's no secret. You can read all the blogs, all the, all the publications, e-commerce has done quite well. I mean, you have, you know, I just saw something to something today about how large the e-commerce um, platform is for Cisco. You know, you're like Cisco, you mean the, the food truck guy, you know, yes, the food distribution company that everybody knows because of the, you know, the, uh, they've seen it in, in, in the parking lot of your school or what have you. Yes, enormous e-commerce platform. Um, now, having said that, I think a lot of those learnings are now giving way to a refinement of strategy. And again, for us, I think that's very, very helpful and very positive. I think, I think many businesses are now taking a step back and looking at almost more of the framing that Jason talked about with, with, with Brown Forman. It's like, okay, now we know we can do some of this stuff. Let's now really think about how to do it well and how to, to, to optimize it and maybe how we, we put in place uh, some, some more rigor. Um, because when COVID hit, I mean, again, there, there was a very, a very quick push to, to sort of uh, go into survival mode. Um, and we survived and a lot of learnings, uh, a lot of trials. And now there's a lot of data parsing going on and a lot of, I think, again, sort of recasting strategies into what worked and what can we do better. Um, but I, but those are the, I think those are the big takeaways in general. Again, I, I feel like our clients now um, in some ways are, are you know, they're, they're more sophisticated. They're more nuanced in, in what they want um, not just, you know, not just e-commerce, uh, it, it's, it's more digital commerce and more that understanding of, Hey, this is, this is kind of full, full circle, full end to end. Um, and again, as Jason pointed out, it's not just about selling something here. What happens when we get it in the box? What happened when, when it lands in the box, you know, is it okay for this brand to be it, it function in this way and, and, and look this way and not for this brand and, and really sort of parsing it all out. You know, and, and I think that the biggest thing that, that I, what I've seen, because my world at Tracer, I, I help people with data intelligence and understanding data strategy on a daily basis. And I actually started here uh, in the middle of the pandemic uh, last May, or actually technically last March, April. But the thing that I've recognized both from my brand side as well as what we have today is that it's a true measure of culture versus capabilities. If you can go tomorrow and buy a capability like an e-commerce platform or a CRM platform, have it installed and go for it. But if your culture is not prepared to embrace digital the way that it needs to, you're going to be in a bad place when it comes to the long-term effects of that. Um, you see that, I, I saw that myself because I spent a lot of time looking at our curriculums to help train not only what was happening on the brand teams, but working with procurement and accounting and finance and production and all the folks that surrounded the brands to help them understand why this digital thing was happening and the scale of it, because everybody had, because whether it came down to a transaction that would come in through uh, Square or, you know, our product being sold, um, you know, on this particular platform. And so there's a new revenue stream there, you know, that cultural, and that's to me, those folks that really were able to, to make the most of what happened during the pandemic were those that, their culture was actually designed with more of a digital first point of view. And it was eye-opening to see those that didn't. Um, and I was kind of coming out of the QSR world as it all hit. And you really saw this with brands that were able to, I mean, Chick-fil-A overnight had switched to order ahead and pick up in the parking lot. And it, it was a matter of days when that was implemented. And I saw other brands that struggled with that. 
And again, that's the cultural dynamic of what you're doing versus just buying a capability off the shelf. Now, there's a McKinsey stat on that that's often cited. And we used to cite it back way back when at Centric Digital when, when I was there back in 2013 and 14. Culture will kill digital transformation faster than anything. Uh, tech, like I said, it's not the tech. Uh, the, the, the tech, uh, it, it's, it's, you can get that in droves uh, at a lot of places, but culture will kill it faster than anything. And, um, and, and also, Jason's example with Chick-fil-A, it'll also enable it. And that's where the, the real leaders shine. Man, I could not. I mean, this is such a good conversation. I've just seen it so many times in the past where, you know, the culture versus capability, as you articulated it, comes out all the time. We see, and we've done it ourselves, you buy a, a, a software package, you sign on with a vendor thinking you've solved the problem, but it's like buying a Peloton and not using it. You know, it's about the culture, the adoption, the stick to to actually follow through on the change. So I think that is an incredibly good example that you guys gave. So thanks for spending time on that. Let's, um, let's transition a little bit to some traditions we have on this podcast. Um, you guys are both obviously senior executives that have done very well in your careers at multiple stops. Where, who influences you and why? I draw influence, I think, from, from some of the more forward-looking venture communities. I mean, I think some of the, some of the podcasts and uh, things that I read, a lot of it comes from A16Z. I'm a fan of that, that the, the podcast that they produce. But as far as absolute, you know, industry icons, I mean, I'm a Clayton Christensen uh, 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 follower. Uh, you know, I know he passed away recently, but I, I, I love that that the 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 ideas behind his theories, um, and 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 sort of a few other people in that vein that that look at disruption in in a way that I look at disruption. You you mentioned it early in in the the, the lead in. I think the terms are not well used and not well understood and, and often misused. And I think digital and, and transformation is that that's, that's, that's a continuous process, right? We're, we're always transforming. It's like climate change. It's always changing. The question is, what am I doing to influence it? And how am I, how am I taking advantage in the case of digital transformation to, to, to make sure I'm not disrupted, right? It's, it's a means to, to, to an end. And so I'm, I'm a fan of that kind of a theory and, and, and practice. Yeah, you know, I, um, I I agree with looking to the uh, the VC world to see. I, I used to spend a lot of time, whether I was at Brown Forward or Inspire Brands, a lot of time doing the uh, the showcases with different firms, whether that was uh, Greylock or uh, or Andreessen or whoever, just to see what kind of what was on the cusp, what was on the cutting edge. I do work. Uh, I'm an advisor to Endeavor, so being able to see who's kind of up and coming and what's new, uh, that's always great. I love uh, Ben Thompson, Mr. Techery. I think that he's got some great writings. Uh, Casey Newton as well. Um, you know, there's uh, the the Bob Hoffmans of the world to kind of keep everything regulated and some, uh, you know, a little bit more of a take a step back and let's literally look at some of these things is always good. Um, and you know, the, the the Meeker Trends Report is one of my fun, one of my favorite things every year. I actually for throughout my career, um, you know, going back to when she started that, I've always referenced that in my, uh, my staff meetings and it's always been a top three. Uh, but those are, and I, I just, I love to see people that just continue to just say, why do we keep, why do we keep doing this the same way? And um, I've been very fortunate in my career to go from healthcare to spirits, alcohol, to marijuana, to QSR. Um, and 
I love that ability to kind of take those experiences but go and do something completely different. So anytime that I read or see folks that are doing that and moving from one space to another completely, it's always good because I think that there's going to be some, some serious things that are going to happen associated with that uh, rather than just kind of doing the same thing over and over. It never ceases to amaze me some of the interviews I've had over the years where folks are like, well, we don't really have any experience in this category. And I'm like, if you had experience in this category, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> um, so I think that that's the, I love to see that, you know, it's the whole notion of, of what transformation is. I mean, you know, it's uh, when a snake sheds its skin, that's change. But when a, uh, a caterpillar turns into a butterfly, that's transformation. That's something completely different. And I love those stories. And I, you know, that's one of the things that I love about class and being able to teach is the research going in to see who's doing things differently and to see a company like Away that comes out of nowhere to completely shake up a category. Uh, I find those are just so inspiring and um, I try to celebrate those as much as anything. Thank you. Uh, I really appreciate both those answers. Can you, can you guys, uh, for the listeners who have interest in getting in touch with you, how would you recommend they do that? Maybe Brian, you go first. Um, sure. Uh, email is uh, brian.dearth at vimo.com. That's an easy one. Um, and there's also vimo.com website with links to all sorts of information. Um, uh, quite a few uh, blog posts, actually. We, we publish blogs weekly and a lot of good reference and case studies, you know, to your point earlier about some of our brands. But really, um, I think we, we tend to uh, do what Jason was mentioning, and that is kind of give back and question and, and give our own POV on a lot of topics uh, up there under Vimo News. So uh, the website's a great source of information and also a way to get in touch. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty easy. Uh, I'm JLo at Tracer.tech. Um, JLo has been my, uh, has been a, 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 a nickname of love over the last 15, 20 years. So uh, uh, it's pretty easy. JLo at Tracer.tech is, is how to get in touch with me. Fantastic. Well, gentlemen, I really appreciate you guys investing the time uh, for our Commerce Connect audience. I thought it was a really insightful discussion and uh, couldn't be more timely uh, given the, the, uh, the rise of sale of alcohol online and the digital transformation stuff that's relevant in the news today. Uh, thank you for your time and, and uh, best of luck. Thank you. Yeah, I tell you, thank you for the opportunity because uh, in my humble opinion, Innovation in the spirits category, really the only innovation that's left is in the route to consumer. Um, yeah. The products that you can, bourbon, you can only do so much with, um, vodka, you can only have so many flavors of, but the route to consumer, what we're going to see over the next five to 10 years, especially as some of the regulations come into play, this is going to be a lot of fun and it's going to be crazy. And I, I can't wait to, to watch what happens. So thank you for the time. Indeed. Thank you so much. It's a, it's a great category, a great topic. And, uh, uh, certainly one that, 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 as Jason said, is, is just right for continued, uh, you know, kind of continued uh, transformation. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's still, a, still in its infancy, and it's, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Yep, it's, it's, uh, it's still very clear that we're in early innings uh, oh, in yeah. this whole direct-to-consumer and e-commerce model. So thank you for sharing your experience with our uh, audience today. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Commerce Connect podcast. Brought to you by Digital River and edited at Matriarch Digital Media in Minneapolis, Minnesota. To learn more, head to digitalriver.com.